This podcast features explicit language and spoilers. Welcome to Better Late Than Never, a movie podcast where we watch a blockbuster, cult favorite, or otherwise culturally significant film that we've never seen before. My name is Dave, and I am your host. Today, I am going to be watching a movie with my friend Drew that neither of us have ever seen before. That movie is Suspiria from 1977. Drew, welcome to the program. Always a pleasure to be here, Dave. Always a pleasure to have you. So, Drew... Suspiria. So yeah, Suspiria, uh, not really a, a film that was on my radar two months ago at all. Interesting. So you've never heard of it? I had not. Okay. Have you ever heard of the director who is named Dario Argento? No. Okay. So this is just a complete black hole for you. It is. Uh A couple of things that that have been interesting, you know, um, we started talking about this as an option, as I mentioned it, you know, a little less than a couple months back. Right. And I did my own research. Of course, I Googled it, right? And I, you know, I found the, the movie poster to be intriguing. So I guess I'll talk about that when we talk more about predictions. Okay. But, you know, um, there's, there's something that, when you become aware of something, then you start seeing it everywhere. Seeing it everywhere. So I I realized that Suspiria had had randomly been mentioned, uh, and I'd probably heard of this but not recognized it. I'm a big fan of The Office, and there's an episode of The Office where a character named Gabe is talking about these horror films that he's he's you know having his girlfriend watch with him. And there's, he mentions Suspiria and he does, he, it's a one sentence line where he describes Suspiria to his girlfriend and he describes it as having the effect of uh, bending your conceptions of what a horror film could be. Whoa. Yeah. So I now have that impression and ironically, you know, I just rewatched that episode last week and of course that tidbit stuck out to me where it i had seen the episode before but you never noticed the suspiria reference i wouldn't yeah yeah uh who's his girlfriend uh it's erin the receptionist oh uh, ellie kemper yeah yeah did she like the movie no the the whole point (laughs) of the the whole point of the the exchange was that he was he was always picking the movie. And because, he was really into it, and she didn't like it. Yeah, she yeah. wasn't into horror. They were playing, like, Words with Friends or some, like, online uh, Scrabble type thing, and whoever won got to pick the films, and he was always winning. 
What a bad boyfriend. He's a bad boyfriend. She dumps him. Don't worry. Oh, good for her. Yeah. Good for her. Yeah. Um, well, I guess in that case, I'll switch to my perspective. I have also never seen this film, but I have been hearing about it for a while. It keeps coming up in the context of horror movies and being a horror movie fan and especially kind of a, you know, a fan of earlier horror films like 60s, 70s, especially that 70s era when horror was starting to get a lot more interesting. You know, I, I keep hearing about it in this context of this is a weird horror movie. This is an interesting one. It I get the impression that people are talking in such a way as to not suggest it's necessarily a great film, but more an interesting film. You know, a film with a lot of ambition, mm. but not necessarily going to top your charts for horror movies, but still kind of fascinating nonetheless. So it's been piquing my curiosity as one of these oddball out there horror movies. Yeah. I've kind of wanted to catch it for a while. A lot of people who I respect seem to be really into it, and I am personally a big hand fan of horror. So, you know, it's just constantly been this outlier that I've really wanted to catch. So presented with this opportunity, I decided to go for it. And how long ago were did you become aware of Suspiria as a film? I would say in college. I think my first exposure to the movie, the first time I heard about it, was during one of those like TV shows like 50 of the greatest horror scares. It was on a list. It was on a list, yeah. And it's always... I've seen this same scene pop up several times on those exact type of list shows. It's always the same scene. And um, we'll get to that scene in prediction time. But uh, it's it, it constantly comes up. So I sort of wonder if this is a movie that has one good scene that everyone always remembers, mm -hmm. but there's nothing else about it. I guess we'll find out. Yeah. Um. So, talking about predictions, I'd like to let you go first. Do you have any predictions as to what this film is going to be like? So, I, I have a couple. Um, you know, obviously, based on that comment uh, that I heard from The Office, I do expect it to be a sort of avant-garde yeah. film where it's very intentionally trying to push the boundaries of the horror film genre. So, I expect to see some things that break that mold a little bit and uh i guess i guess you know for me i'm not sure whether to expect that to be done quite successfully or if there will be moments where we kind of it seems like they're trying and like will i feel scared by it right um that's the the question i'm kind of kind of asking myself i expect i probably will find it a little off-putting in some places well off-putting in what kind of way uh, yeah, I mean, to, to extend the reference a little bit more, that same character in The Office has another Halloween-themed episode where he talks about the theater of the absurd or something like that, um, uh -huh. where, where it's just, uh, or theater of the disturbing, it's, it, where it's just images okay. that are just like a black and white film where it's just blood starts coming out of something randomly and you just have this weird feeling like it's okay so if i'm understanding you you're kind of expecting something that is like a 
stu- a film student thesis movie that is both arty and pretentious while also being graphic and grotesque. Perfectly put. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Perfectly put. Honestly, I I think I'm more or less on the same page. Yeah. Um, if I'm going to talk about what I think we're about to see. So I've seen not the entire thing, but a few clips from this famous scene. So this is one that I'm expecting. And it is a scene where from the way it was edited, it's hard to tell exactly what was happening. But a girl is getting stabbed and... In getting stabbed, pressure is pushed down on her so that she's lying on top of a um, skylight and she falls then from the impact of the stabbing. It sends her down through the skylight Mm. and um, another girl is below her watching and is like screaming. Interesting. And that's that's the like hundred years, a hundred scares coming up next on Bravo, the Jaws shark, you know. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I know that scene will be in the movie, although I don't know if I kind of have seen much of it, you know, from those shows. Um, it's a European film, so I expect it to be totally weird. Uh, and I am expecting also a lot of colors. Mm. I constantly hear in reference to this movie that there's a lot of interesting color work and that it's very um especially red because it's also supposedly very graphic and gory so uh, i i think that'll be a feature of it i know it's kind of a woman focused movie i know that the lead's a woman i mean not that unusual for a horror film but that it's also like i think it takes place at a girl's school oh and it's part of this um in reference to Dario Argento, the director, it's part of something called the Three Mothers trilogy that he did. So I expect this to be a kind of very female-centric movie. Mm. Um, I I can't tell if I expect this to be scary. You know, because, again, everything I hear about it is always like, well, it's like, it's riotously colorful. It's uh, very gory. It's, uh, oh, I, I, I have heard occasionally that the uh, music is very interesting. Okay. So, you know, these are all expectations that I have, but I... You know, other than the fact that, like, you know, AFI or Bravo or whoever was doing that TV show thought that it had one scene that was frightening, I never really hear anyone say whether or not they thought it was a scary movie. So I'm curious to see if that turns out. But, um, you know, I think that's about the limit of what I know about the movie. Yeah. um, One thing that um, uh, I didn't mention when we were first discussing this, I Googled it. I found what I thought was a pretty telling movie poster for Uh Suspiria, you know, one that was contemporary to when it came out. And the tagline on the poster was, the only thing scarier than the last 12 minutes of this film are the first 92. Ooh. Right? I mean, obviously, I mean, to me, I read that and you're talking about all these genre, this this general genre of horror uh, leading up to that period of 1977 the first film i think about is rosemary's baby where it, it seems like a line like that is directly referencing what may have started becoming a genre staple of that twist at the end uh-huh. that really gets you and haunts you right i think we saw that in a number of different films that would have been you know very memorable for audiences around that time 
And it seems like this film's probably deliberately trying to break the mold of that somehow. Hmm. And, you know, how successful it is in actually scaring us for the sustained 92 minutes up to the end is very, uh, you know, that I'm, I have a question mark in my mind as to how, you know, am I going to be like scared the entire time? Uh, I think probably not. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, scared or not, I do expect to be uh, intrigued. Mm. You know, I, I I am anticipating a compelling movie. Yeah. So, so better live up, Suspiria. Got some high expectations for you. Yes. All right. Well, I think that does it for what we're uh, predicting from this film. Let's actually sit down and watch this bad boy. All right. Suspiria. Here we go. Roses are red. Violets are blue. But the iris is the flower that will mean the end of it. You can run from Suspiria. Suspiria. You can hide from Suspiria. Suspiria. But you cannot escape. The only thing more terrifying than the last 12 minutes of Suspiria are the first 92. And we're back. Suspiria. Quite a film. I enjoyed it. I... Thought it was pretty good. And of course, we'll get into that in more detail. But um, I believe you made an observation during the course of the film of something we didn't think of. Yes, that's right. So as far as predictions go, I feel like there was some low-hanging fruit that we didn't uh, pick up on at all. And the film was very suspenseful. And the name of the film suggests it's so hard. We really dropped the ball on that. Yeah. I um, think the idea that Suspiria might be suspenseful, kind of uh, kind of just right there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, live and learn. Yep. Live and learn. It was a suspenseful film. Sure. Um, I gotta say, well, we'll get to that. Let's start by uh, discussing a little bit of the background of this film. So, like I said in the uh, pre-section... This is a film directed by Dario Argento, and uh, Argento said that the idea for the film came to him during a trip through a bunch of cities in Europe, and he became fascinated by what's called the Magic Triangle, which is a point where the countries of France, Germany, and Switzerland meet, and uh, while he was there, he discovered that this is where some kind of like famous occultist lived. And uh, someone who believed in magic and witches and stuff. And he got interested in the region and its relationship towards witchcraft. So you can see that that certainly carried through into the film. Regarding witchcraft and the occult, Argento has said that uh, there is very little to joke about. It's something that exists. 
So wow. he feels like it's a real thing, which I think is uh, an interesting take. Yes. I don't agree. Well, it's interesting to know that reflecting on the film now, that the mm. director actually believes that some of this stuff is authentic. Yeah, and there's an actual uh, bit about that that I want to discuss in more depth later when it comes to the part of the movie that's directly discussing witches and witchcraft and the rules surrounding them. Yes. So we'll, we'll circle back to that. Um, lastly, I noticed in my uh, brief Wikipedia research that the writer, um, Daria Nicolodi, combined all the occult themes that Argento wanted with some uh, fairy tale themes. So things like uh, Pinocchio, uh, The Adventures of Bluebeard, and Alice's Adventures in Wonderland mm. were all present in the mind of the writer, or co-writer as it may have been. So, let's talk about the directing a little bit. This director, Dario Argento, he is a master of a genre called giallo, which is kind of a european mostly italian genre of horror movie it said it blends atmosphere and suspense like a thriller with elements of horror you know something like slasher kind of stuff and eroticism so uh dario argento and this film in particular is considered an exemplar of that particular genre of mm. horror movie um Dario Argento also collaborated with George Romero on the movie Dawn of the Dead. Oh. Yeah. And um, Argento, he was very popular kind of in the 70s and 80s, uh, peaked then and has been kind of a critical decline since then. But as far as his style and his trademarks as a director, um, Suspiria in particular is noteworthy as having a bunch of examples of, him, of his style which includes the particular use of set-piece structures that allow the camera to linger on pronounced visual elements, yes. which certainly comes through. Yes. And um, production, design, and cinematography that emphasizes vivid primary colors, particularly red, creating a deliberately, deliberately unrealistic, nightmarish setting. So Yeah, I mean, that, that vibes with... a in that first scene, just a, a very um, pronounced observation that you could make was how colorful the set design was. They had this stained glass ceiling yep. uh, fixture that became a very prominent. It was a big piece of the set that you couldn't ignore when it was first introduced. And it came back and later. And it came back later. They made full use of it. What occurred to me during that early scene, which is, uh, we're talking about, there's a scene early in the film where, um, this girl, Pat, who has fled the school, uh, it, I don't think it's ever clearly established what her relationship is with the other girl. I took it to be an older sister, but it could have been anything. I think she was... Just a friend? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't, well, I don't think it's said, unless we missed it. But anyway, she flees to her friend's apartment, and... Not only is the color incredibly vivid in that scene, but the patterns in that building are all very intense. And I yes. almost got a slightly ritualistic, satanic vibe off of them. Did yeah. you get any of that? Uh, somewhat. I mean, the, the pattern was so vivid as to be like, I don't know, it reminded me of being in like a dungeon zone in a Mario video game, huh. like 
all of the walls were like an evil castle kind of concept. Mm -hmm. Like all the walls are, they just have a, a pattern that makes sense, but it's so vivid and specific that it just feels a little twisted. Yeah. It was unsettling. Definitely. Yeah. And you know, I kept, I keep coming back to this during the course of the film and I guess I'll just lay it out now rather than get to it later. There were so many points in this film where I thought this is unsettling. And I wondered to myself, is that because what's happening is a little off or because it's European? Mm. You know, like, is this perfectly normal for Germany in the 1970s? Like that patterning, it's present all over the place. Maybe not exactly as uh, ritualized and, you know, almost religious as it is in that scene. But um, there's always stuff on the walls. It's all very busy. Yeah, you know, it's and, this like crazy Art Deco thing going on on every wall, like to the top degree. Yeah, so I kept wondering, time. like, is that because these are witches and a witchy place, or is that because that's the Germany of the seventies, baby? Hey, hey, hey! Yeah, it like, could be. I, yeah, I don't know. Um, either way, it's disturbing. Yes. Yeah. So, did you notice anything else about the directing? What would I say? I mean, excellent use of color, as we as as uh, we thought, as we heard. Yeah, yeah we had heard that. Um, it was a pretty film to look at. It was. There was a lot of use of um, good cinematography around, like columns. Like there were a few really nice shots of woods with the trees, as mm-hmm. well as yeah, yeah. outside. They they got to this urban setting with some kind of uh, columns, like. Oh, yeah, like uh, those facades with all of the colonnades and everything. Yeah, there was good directing visually around those structures. Yeah, it's also striking because I think that's the only scene in the movie where there's any kind of wide open space. All the rest of the time, it feels very cramped and small. Um, Again, partially the result of kind of the walls being so busy and occupied. It creates this very claustrophobic feel. Yeah. But um, in that wide open space, especially given that the person in that space is blind, it creates this sense of enormous vulnerability, you know? Mm-hmm. He's very exposed out there. Yes. Yeah. He's reliant on the dog. He Which trusted is... that dog. Well, it wasn't the dog's fault. Witches were messing with it. Yeah. No. I actually... Um, so, during the course of the film, uh, the dog is suddenly introduced in such a way like he'd been there before but then all of a sudden the camera lingers on it and it becomes a more prominent part of the film and my first thought was like oh no don't hurt the dog yeah but then it turns out the dog it's like the dog bit a little boy and my first thought was like oh thank god (laughs) yeah it's just the dog hurting someone else i actually was not trusting that the dog had actually just bitten the little boy like yeah i thought that there's was some harm done to the dog by the little boy and the other character and whoever mentioned that like it was all some big conspiracy it wouldn't surprise me if that was true yeah and then again it's unclear from from what we see but it's a theory right sure i mean i wouldn't trust anything that miss uh miss tanner had to say mm. um and then again later of course when the dog kills a dude i once again was relieved that yes the dog was Safe. I mean, presumably it's put to sleep for murdering a guy, but, you know, I didn't have to see it. Right. Um, so, yeah. Uh, one thing, it's mentioned in that little uh, style description I got off Wikipedia, but he, uh, Dario Argento, has all of these shots where he either holds on some kind of object or he 
does a close slow zoom in on it and does that to me that feels like a hallmark of especially 70s horror like this sort of uh building of tension and fear and dread by like hanging on to a shot of something that you're not entirely sure of the significance of it and it's just the continued focus on this thing that starts creating a sense of unease in you yeah that i'm i can see that sounds familiar and it sounds familiar to that period of film right because i don't think they really do this anymore at least not to the same extent because movies just move much faster now yeah whereas this this slower kind of you know uh, you know you're just constantly like hold it hold it hold it that's that's what's making you afraid and that's more possible back in that day when a slower kind of more languid pace was more acceptable yeah yeah um well cool let's talk a little bit about the cast Okay. So, we have Jessica Harper as Susie Banyan, our lead. What did you think? So, before before even discussing individual characters' roles, can we talk about the dubbing? Okay, yeah. So, first of all, um, even though in part of my preparation for this film I'd seen that there was dubbing, when those first lines start being said, especially in that scene between Pat and her whoever that is in the apartment i wrote it down in all caps and double underline it just says whoa dubbing <laughs> like it is just so heavy <laughs> yes know? but so this is what the suspiria wikipedia page has to say about that harper commented on the fact that all the actors dialogue was not properly recorded but was dubbed through additional dialogue recording after the fact which was a common practice in italian filmmaking at the time Part of the reason was each actor spoke their native language while filming. So, for instance, uh, Harper spoke in English while the, the actress who played her friend Sarah was speaking in Italian and a bunch of others were speaking German. Yes. And each actor, just because they had the script, generally knew what the line meant and so just reacted normally. Ah. And so each actor in the scene is speaking whatever their native tongue is, and then it's being redubbed afterwards to make sense just for whatever market the film is released in. So in Italy, they just put everyone in Italian. Mm. In America, everything in English. And that's really interesting. I I mean, I guess it sounds like it was common in Italy, and maybe it's been done elsewhere, but I can't think of another film I've seen where it was done that way. Well, I feel like older films always did dubbing over the, over the speech. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I guess. But this concept is interesting where everyone even like just let them speak whatever their own language is. And I noticed that, too. But as a viewer, it caused a little bit of confusion because in my mind, I'm tr I'm trying to think like what what language are the cast members speaking? Because sometimes they're clearly speaking English and the words that are dubbed they're, over are the words they're yeah, mouthing. It's dubbed nonetheless. Yeah, yeah, it's dubbed nonetheless, and yet other characters, you can see the dubbing does not correspond with the words they're mouthing. So that, now that's that's an explanation of that. But I imagine it too, just from the point of view of the actors. Like, So I experienced the same thing as you did in that I found just my... I found the dubbing itself a little distracting in its obviousness, but I never got any kind of sense that these actors were reacting in a way 
that suggested they weren't understanding what was being said to them. Right. The acting was good. I mean, they didn't, the body language and every way that they were interacting with one another in the speech, that was not distracting. But sometimes trying to follow the the lips of specific characters where they weren't speaking English, mm-hmm. where others were, that that was what it, what made it a little bit confusing in some scenes sure i mean you know maybe they should do it more it worked out in this movie yeah overall it did yeah all right well um that being said what did you think of our lead jessica harper as Susie banyan yeah so i mean i think she was fine overall the the kind of acting in this film it's it felt kind of like a soap opera almost hmm and i don't know the the storyline and the premise of what we're seeing is so fantastical and, you know, not necessarily, it's just all so out of the ordinary that it's, it's an odd world to be set within to begin with. So the characters and character motivations and character development, it just, am I making sense? Yeah, well, there there's a strangeness to people's behavior, especially in some of those earlier scenes. It kind of evens out once it starts becoming scenes of uh, Susie and Sarah just being friends and talking. But in those early scenes, especially like when Susie's being introduced to her classmates at the dance school and um, meeting kind of some of the weirder people around there, it, it was once again, I was kind of like, is this weird? Or is this just like normal for a European film, you know, that this is how people would interact with each other upon first meeting? You know, I couldn't I couldn't tell. Yeah. What was what was just kind of eccentric personality versus uh... I think they were supposed to be eccentric. Yeah. But, I, you know, I, I did continuously wonder. Mm. Well, I thought I thought the the lead was very good, especially in her facial expressions. She had to do a lot of reacting to things without talking mm. in a lot of scenes. And I thought like in, in her eyes and in her face, she just conveyed uh, what was going on inside emotionally yes. very well. I also noticed so she was very pretty and, you know, that's cool. But she's also uh she bore a striking resemblance, I thought, to Nancy from Stranger Things. Did you pick up on that? Oh, um, perhaps a little bit. That just me? I don't, I don't know. Maybe, uh, yeah, not well, a ton, but. Whatever, probably coincidence anyway. It just, you know, once I got it in my head, it kept staying with me throughout. Well, Nancy's in some scenes that give you a similar feeling as some of the scenes in this film. Right, but, you know... Again, Stranger Things is kind of a deliberate 80s pastiche, and this is a 70s. Late 70s. Yeah, I guess. Uh, You know, but, you know, Nancy also, I think, is more of, at least more obviously, a callback to Nancy from Nightmare on Elm Street. As opposed to this one. But who knows? Anyway, what did you think of uh, Stefania Cassini as Sarah? She played kind of a, like, she, she was kind of crazy and, like, um obsessed and i don't know i liked her performance in that Mm. she seemed kind of like this you know while while our main character is dozing off from who knows what they've been feeding her right this character's kind of just in on the conspiracy theory and going down the rabbit hole and 
you know coming apart at the seams a little bit yeah yeah i th- and and i think she plays that well yeah yeah i thought so it was a cool reveal to find out too that she was the person uh being spoken to by pat in the early scene mm. i guess you could have figured it out from the voices but i didn't catch that right yeah uh okay so we have alita volley as miss tanner the uh the german frau woman she was awesome yeah Yeah. agreed really good performance like really nice uh portrayal of the strict german teacher it's very stereotypical yeah but i i dug it yeah me too yeah lastly we have joan bennett as madame blanc madame blanc that's not a creepy name or anything yeah Headmistress Madame Blanc. Yeah. What'd you think of her? Well played. Clearly a little diabolical, and they don't really reveal it until the end. But you you suspect her, but she doesn't give you any... Right. She really does, while being a little shady, act completely normal throughout the course of the film, uh, until you get to that very last scene where she's just ranting and raving... In yes. her witchy way. Yes, exactly. She's a she's very good as a an intense witch of staying well under the radar for most of the action. Well, I mean, like, you kinda know that it's gonna be her, but at the same time she's not giving you a whole lot to go on. Right. She's not dropping clues at yeah. all. Right. Um oh, and I guess uh there's not much to the role, but I'll toss out we got Udo Kier as Dr. Frank Mandel. Dr. Mandel, what was his role? He was a Dr. Exposition Dump. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> right, yeah, so we, we get... So, and that's the thing, like, I, I, I guess we discussed this while the film was playing, but when you're Susie and you, you your friend just went missing, you leave this very creepy, clearly creepy school. Like, oh, my God, When yes. you arrived, you knew someone had just gotten horribly murdered, right? It was explained to you. I think this film takes place over the course of, like, four days, and someone is killed on each successive day that she's there. <laughs> so she's, it's daytime. She's left this horrid place. She meets a very handsome man out in a park. A doctor, no less. A doctor, no less, who's explaining to her on this lovely day a windy day a wind a somewhat windy day but otherwise somewhat windy i mean this is a point where the dubbing was very clear because they are speaking in incredibly clear crisp uh audio (laughs) and their hair is all over the place the trees behind them are bent over at 45 degrees (laughs) they are in the middle of a tornado during this scene and the sound is coming through crystal clear. Perfectly good, yeah. Uh, but anyway, you were saying... Yeah, so, you know, what what compels her to get... And then he, he clearly explains that witchcraft is real, introduces her to someone who, who can verify this. And also uh, incredibly complicated with some hard and fast specific rules. Yes. Uh, it, the, so and she a, goes back. Yeah, she goes back. And you're like, why? Yeah. Just those rules are so specific. How do you know these things? What does he say? Hang on. Uh, this, this is either Udo Kier or the other guy. But, um, oh, yeah. Uh, witches, they all want material wealth. That's their, All witches have the same motivation, which is not to serve the devil, not to be powerful, not to get back at anyone. No, they all want money, and they can only acquire it by doing harm. And they their powers can only be used to do harm. 
And uh, by the way, the leader is always 100 times more powerful than any of the others. And a witch's coven is like a snake. So if you cut off the head and kill the leader, that depowers the rest of them. How do you know these things? Yeah, what? My goodness. Well, anyway. So, I think that's enough about the cast. Let's uh, stop dancing around the plot of this movie and actually just dive right into it. Yes. Plot and predictions. We made a few. Let's see how they panned out. Drew, you said you thought that this movie was going to be kind of avant-garde. Yeah. I think in some ways it probably was. Oh, yeah, definitely. But oh. it it wasn't it wasn't what you feared it would be. Right. It wasn't absur- it wasn't totally absurd. It had its own like internal plot line and logic and some of the directing was a little arty. Arty for sure. But uh, yes, it made sense. But it made sense. It wasn't it it didn't spiral into the nonsensical. Yeah. Right. I mean, it wasn't even like on a David Lynch level. Where it's exactly. Like, you know, which is borderline. It can kind of go either way. Right. But um, yeah, I, I have to say I was a little concerned during the first like 10 minutes where some of the directorial fl- flourishes. I was like, I don't know about this. But then once we got to our first scare, I felt okay. Yeah. So, all right. You thought it was successful, not too pretentious. Um, For me... I thought it would be a totally weird European movie, and it was, but again, not to an overwhelming degree. I think the weirdest things were less, quote-unquote, pretentious artistic decisions and more, like, technical stuff, like we said, the dubbing and, you know, because of choosing to do the languages that way or um, the directorial choice to, like, hold those shots for so long. That, yes. That stuff, so not not too out there. A lot of color. I think that proved uh, quite true, especially yes. red. Although my expectation was that it would be red because there would be a lot of blood and gore. And there was some. There was some. But not a ton. The red was more, you know, it was lighting. It was the uh, the walls in the school. Yep. Which created a kind of, you know, a mood. And, yep. and certainly helped in developing the setting as a memorable place but uh again it wasn't so much blood and guts right all over the place we saw some of course murders with some slightly gory scenes oh yeah and uh you know including the one that i saw on my tv show which uh yeah the tv show definitely did cut a lot of it out there was a lot more to it than i was aware and that was awesome yeah i mean that first scare is great. I, it's I mean the murder it's it's not as heavy on the gore as it is on the epic violence. Yeah. Totally. And it's a really effective jump scare too. Uh, I I jumped out of my seat when that arm comes through the window and smashes her face against the window. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, right. Even knowing it's coming. And then the uh the stabbing. Oh man. Brutal. Brutal and just continued and, yeah, and, and, and she's making those noises yeah. during the whole thing. And at one point, you, you see, like, her exposed heart. Mm. That's what that was, right? Yeah, it was. Uh, and that's, also, that's the gore part right there. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, it wasn't gory. It was just, like, vividly graphic and, and intense violence. Right. There's, I mean, 
again, it depends on how you want to describe it as either being gory or just visually upsetting. But at the end, when her sister or friend or whoever that is, is also killed by the falling debris and she has the 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 pane of glass through her face. Yes. That was very intense. Yes. So, yeah, quite quite a good good scare there. And uh, I think I'm going to have to agree with that show that is one of the top 100 scares you know, of whatever, the 20th century, whatever the hell they were doing. Um, prediction about it being kind of female-focused. It didn't turn out to be a girl's school, but it was a dance studio where most of the characters were women, so I think that was kind of accurate. And, you know, it was about witches. Yeah, that's true. It was very feminine. I mean, you know, 90% of our characters were female in this. Right. In fact, there at one point they introduce a boy who I thought was going to turn out to be like the male love interest, like right when she yes. Susie is uh, at the off-campus house. Briefly, the boy comes over and she clearly likes him, and he's a he's a hunk, mm-hmm. ballet dancer. You know, he's got nice gams. Yeah, and I mean they don't really develop that. No, romance. he barely comes back. Yeah, you barely see him at all. Yeah. So you see him dance a little bit with them in the studio, right? That's about it. Yeah, he's he's pretty useless. <laughs> and then lastly, I uh, I just I expressed a little hesitation to predict that it would be actually scary. I think I'm gonna call that prediction accurate because even though there were a couple of really effective jump scares in this film, most of the film I didn't think was very scary. Suspenseful, yes. It was very suspenseful. There were some... I think it was scarier, ironically, in the beginning than it was as it went on. Agreed. The... Like, our first scare and everything leading up to it had this very intense suspense and then a very good payoff in terms of the actual attack. Um, But other than that, you know, we have a long movie after that that doesn't really deliver the same level of fear and there's certainly some creepiness to a lot of the other scenes but not i don't know um not that intensely well you know it goes back to that thing about this being a giallo film that is supposed to kind of have an element of being a murder mystery yes so it's more like not a noir, but like a, a, a mystery or a thriller where maybe you're trying to figure out who the killer is. And then there are parts mixed in that are like a horror film, mm. you know, so you're not watching a horror movie. You are watching a giallo movie. Interesting. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It's an Italian word. So how's it spelled? Uh, G-I-A-L-L-O. Giallo. That sounds right. So uh, anyway, let's um actually... Take it point by point through the plot a little bit. So our hero, Susie, arrives in Germany, and right away, something is off. Just the way the camera keeps focusing on what's ahead of her, and then the storm, and then also immediately kicking in is that music, which I must say, like what I'd heard, is very striking. Yeah, I thought the the soundtrack was quite creepy, in some cases distractingly creepy. Yeah, there's an element, I I couldn't make up my mind, so there's the one part where the music itself is kind of creepy, that tune, like, it's just, and I apologize to anyone who had to sit through my rendition of a musical (laughs) thing, but um, 
that is a creepy sound. But it always kicked in when shit was about to go down. So to a certain extent, it constantly gave away the game and that like, okay, here's where an actual scary part might happen. Yeah. And in fact, it wasn't even always the case. Sometimes it was just nothing happened. Right. And the the creepy noises just kind of were there. Right. I mean, maybe it was like she found a clue or something and the music plays whenever anything relating to the overarching uh, mystery happens. Yes. But it did, that being the case, it tended to be a red flag that something was about to go down. Right. There were even some times where there was just kind of an intense soundtrack and it wasn't just creepy music. Sometimes it was just ambient, like, like eerie noises and like moans and shrieks and stuff. Yeah, well, those were pretty consistently interspersed into the music. You know, these kind of breathy exhalations at first that sounded like screams. Yes. And then I forget when they started. I think they start the first time Susie sees that uh, woman with the knife and she starts getting sick. But that, I don't know if it's actually the word or if it just sounds like it, but that witch. Yeah. Constantly coming in. I'm like, it's a little on the nose. Yeah, a little on the nose. Witch, witch, witch. It's very echoey. I don't. I was listening for that later on, and I don't think they're explicitly saying the word witch. Hmm. I don't think so. It could be wrong. I think it just kind of sounds like that. Yeah, I, I, I could see it being either way. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, but I, I mean that. What was really striking is the, the point when they get to. Well, this is towards the end when she's walking the hallways and then she dips into one of the rooms and the the ambience and the soundtrack just stop. And I thought that was actually scarier than having it continue. Yeah. Yeah. It it's kind suddenly of cutting it. Every new... time it's suddenly cut out. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of spots where that happened where someone steps into a room and closes the door and it's almost like the music is diegetic and the door is cutting it off. The music abruptly cuts out. I found that to be scarier. Mm. So... Anyway, so uh, she has a creepy cab ride with a very unforthcoming, rude German driver. I feel like that's not really the experience anymore. I feel like, I, I mean, I've only been to Germany one time and very briefly, but I found everyone to be very friendly. Yeah, who knows if that represents a stereotype for that time in Germany or not. And right. They just chose to portray a grumpy taxi driver grumpy guy yeah i mean i guess it's we're supposed to be putting her in a situation where she's uncomfortable from the get-go yeah right so she arrives at the school it's pouring rain thunder lightning terrible storm and a girl runs out and uh she's also rudely turned away at the door which uh should have been another red flag yeah we we get to know who that was who who uh told her not to come in but there's we don't really know why, you know, we're not given a clear explanation as to why she pulled that prank. Well, uh, what I think it was, was that the two of them, I'm talking about uh, Pat and um, Sarah, Sarah, were in the middle of something intense and dangerous and scary and everything. And then this random person is coming and it wasn't even thought through in her mind. She's just like, go away. We're we're doing something. Stop. Yeah. Like, get lost. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, that's the only explanation I have. Otherwise, it, it is a little sort of like more curious as to why she would have bothered. Right. And I, I suppose she she did arrive immediately as 
Pat was running off and therefore right when they were having some kind of exchange. Yeah, or, I mean, I guess it's possible it could have been that, like, oh, another girl's coming and this place isn't safe. Like, get out of here, save yourself. But, you know, without providing more, you can't really think that someone's going to listen to you when you say that. Right, exactly. Yeah, so Pat, as we saw, runs away and we get what I do think is one of the best jump scares I've ever seen. It legitimately was jump out of your seat frightening Mm. when that arm bursts through the window and grabs her by the back of the head and slams her into the window and you see her face kind of crushed up against it i had thought that the scariest part would be the actual stabbing especially at the end when she falls through the skylight and gets hung and that was striking and cool to look at and to a certain extent upsetting but the the very beginning of the attack when she first gets grabbed is just such a shock yeah and it's it's broadcast well in advance you know she's look, got hearing the sounds and looking out the open window and you're like oh well something's going on out there you're you're naturally trained to expect it and you even see they show the eyes right ahead of you time you see that there's something there but you're not quite sure at what moment it's going to strike or what form it's going to take right yeah so i mean props on dario argento that was a very memorable moment Yes. Even though I came in expecting it, it totally did its job. Well, and compared to the rest of the scenes in the in the film, there's, a, you know, later on, we have this scene where uh, one of our characters is trying to escape. And th- this is uh, Sarah, I believe. She's trying to escape the room and she's got the bolt behind her. Yeah. And someone's got this very round knife. It's a, it's like a butter knife. It's not even like I I believe it's a straight razor. Oh, it's a straight razor. It looks like a blunt. Like it doesn't it doesn't have a very sharp look to it. It looks round on the end. Is what I'm. Yeah. But may, maybe. It, yeah. It, think, it is rounded. Um, and that could have been an issue with the prop. Or I guess I haven't seen a ton of straight razors. Although those I have seen have been a kind of more squared. Yeah, squared at the end. Maybe you know perhaps that's it. And I was just seeing it as a different kind of tool but you know that scene was just so drawn out where the doors closed like it seems like this person with the straight razor uh really taking their time really taking their time and very clumsily trying to open this door it just the pacing just felt it sucked the suspense out of it a little bit and made it just feel a little dull yeah and in point of fact during that scene, there's a lot of music and orchestration and sound kind of blasting you at first, but then at a certain point, it cuts out, and all you get is the quiet room and the, the click-click sounds of the razor trying to undo the latch, and she's off busy doing something else, and if you think about it, that's what she's hearing, that's what it is if you're actually in that situation, and it it's almost boring. It becomes boring because of the contrast with the loud orchestra and all the intensity intensity being kind of put on you by the sound as opposed to what's actually happening. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, I I completely agree with you. That first scare is great, but to a certain extent, it sets up our expectations in a way that never winds up being met 
by the rest of the film with the exception with one possible exception at the end nothing that happens through the rest of the film lives up to that scare we get in the first like five or eight minutes of this movie which is too bad because you know we clearly the director is capable of creating a scene that intense and i could have used a couple of a couple more yeah they shot their wad too early (laughs) yeah they did Although, on the other hand, it did really reel me in at a moment where I was starting to wonder, like, am I worried? Like, is this movie going to be boring? You know, so... It certainly was not boring. No, it wasn't. Um, Well, on that note, we continue on to the next day, and Susie is introduced to Madame Blanc and Miss Tanner and the rest of the school. And we get that kind of soap opera-y acting you were talking about, where everyone's just like a little heightened maybe a little arch in their behavior some of that could have been the dubbing some of that could have been the general like european vibe of it but there was something about the way they were behaving that just felt a little not normal Hmm. after that we get her scene where she's in that off-campus apartment for a minute and we mentioned the boy who comes over and then winds up being nothing the friend also winds up being nothing. What was her name? Olga? That but, character? The one she lives with for like half a day. Yeah, that sounds right. She is like introduced as a prominent character right away in the beginning on a par with uh, Sarah and then disappears through the course of the film. Yeah, there's no mention of her again. She never comes back. Do they even mention her like going somewhere or doing anything? They do not. Yeah, it just both... The non-Susie characters in that scene are kind of set up to be significant and then never come back. I wonder if there was any plan to at some point and then a decision not to. It seems like that could be possible. Maybe those two actors fell in love on set and eloped. Could be. Yeah, I think that's got to be what happened. Yeah. So after that, we get the first point where I got a little confused because we get uh, Susie's first day at school and she uh, sees the weird woman with the knife and the little boy. And we get our first witch, you know, yeah. as she's sitting there. And Susie comes down faint right when that happens. And I got a little confused as to how that happened. I guess because it was witches, it could have been like a spell or something like that. Right. That I I think that's what we're left to presume. They don't make it super clear, but it seems like she's hexed somehow. Yeah, by that. But why? It's, you know, it's it's witchcraft, man. It's <laughs> you know they've got some they've got some pendant in the refle- that they're reflecting light into her eyes with, and that becomes a hex. But but why hex her? Like I guess maybe because she was sort of a witness to Pat's death. Or... Yeah, that that would be one reason. I mean, and she's uh, uh, I can't recall the order of events, but. We know that uh, Madame Blanc becomes aware that she's this witness to Pat's running out at 10 or 11 p.m. Right, and that becomes a problem later. But at this point in the movie, well, I guess she knows that she had seen her leave the school. Um, And then later on, she becomes aware that Susie overheard her saying a few things. Uh, So that's the only explanation I can come up with, though, because other than that, it just seems like they're risking exposure by killing or harming people who otherwise would just go about blithely unaware yeah. that there's anything wrong. 
Right. You know, especially so we'll get to the blind guy, but there's no real reason to hurt him unless, of course, the dog bite was real. And she was just mad that he the dog bit her nephew. But all right, we'll, we'll get to that. So Susie comes over faint and then she's cared for by either the most incompetent or most bribed doctor I've ever seen. Like this guy was ridiculous. I, I was so taken aback by how silly this doctor was considering the rest of the movie. Yeah. He's like a cartoon character. But um, he recommends that she stick to a certain prescribed diet and a glass of red wine every night because that drinking red wine will restore your blood. Is that true? Uh, I don't know that it is. I and find it a little tough to believe. I think the, I mean, I think that the doctor is, as you say, uh, not a very good doctor. He's not a very good doctor. He's, he's probably, uh, the witches have him bought off, you know? Yeah. I mean, or it could just be that he assumes if you drink red things that will give you more blood. I think he's in on the whole witchcraft stuff. I think he's a warlock or whatever and, mm. and is helping Madame Blanc with her prescribing a certain uh you know poisonous diet to could be could be this this victim yeah it is equally plausible because we see her pour a glass of wine out into the into the sink at one point and it is not it's wine. not wine it's like some blood with maybe some wine mixed into it yeah it is uh i i can't imagine she was drinking that concoction at all had she never had wine before Right. I mean, well, so the first time she was, the first time she was, uh, she was given the wine, we have this, um, pretty nicely, uh, shot, um, nicely shot, shot, (laughs) where she's drinking it and you get the, the point of view shot from the camera with the glass right up to the camera being tilted. I remember noticing that too. It's not a point of view you usually get in a scene. It was just the tilting of the glass with none of the actress in the frame. Right. It just it meant meant for you to really feel like you're the one drinking the drink. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I just found it interesting in that I'm like, huh, you know, they never really show the act of drinking like that in most movies that I watch. Right. It stuck out. It stuck out to me. But the, the, the liquid did not look like blood in that scene. It looked more like a regular glass of wine. Yeah. So, after that, we get our first uh, our first brush with bugs when maggots start raining from the ceiling. Oh, yes. All the maggots. I, I at first thought that they were like hairbrush maggots. I was like, where are these coming from? And then... It's in the ceiling. What was it? Did some food go bad? I thought at first it was a corpse in a box. It was a corpse in a box. Oh, it was a corpse in a box. Yeah, at least one corpse was in that box. How did the corpse get in the box? Uh, The witches, I think, after skinning the corpse, put the corpse in the box. But it's Miss Tanner who goes and discovers the corpse in the box, and she seems to be surprised to find a box containing a corpse. Hmm. And why also do they then, like, tell everyone that it's a corpse in a box? Why don't they just say, oh, some food went bad? These are all very good questions. Who was the corpse? I don't know. Where did they buy the box? (laughs) I don't own a box that big, do you? No, it's a crate. I mean, it's a (laughs) veritable crate. No, none of this is explained. Now that you mention it, we don't get an explanation for this maggot rain 
coming from the corpse box. Well, I mean, the maggots come from the corpse, which is in the box, but we never really... Like, where did it all come from? And and what, and what as you say, why was it just revealed by the witches to the... I don't know. everyone else. Why? I don't know. Um, they didn't effectively cover it up. Well, regardless of whether it makes sense, though, it does provide us with one of my favorite parts of the movie, which is, what did you call it? The uh, virgin German dance class sleepover party? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was pretty fun. Too bad a you know sexy pillow fight didn't break out, but whatever. <laughs> we didn't get that, but we do get the uh, snoring from the headmistress on the other side of the uh, blanket or the sheet. Yeah, and not one... very sexy either. No, that was not very <laughs> sexy. And when we see her at the end, it, it was again not super sexy. Yeah, no, she's not in great shape. No, but also, why does she risk exposing herself? Like that, like just walking in and hanging out with like going to bed and sleeping with all the other students, just a sheet in between you and them. Why do that? Because she wants to be a girl again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's part of some ritual for stealing their youth or something. Yeah, it seems that way. And so after that scene is when we get that, uh, oh, no, the dog part where uh, Miss Tanner is a real bitch to a blind guy. Yep. She comes in and screams in his face and then, like, throws his walking stick away from him and makes him, like, leave and walk out without having it, you know, he has to, like, find it. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? No, she's quite rude to this poor blind man. Yeah, and uh, props on him for sticking up for himself. And his dog. Yeah. He doesn't take her shit and his dog doesn't take that little boy's shit. Right. Yes, they both pay the ultimate price, but you know what? It's better to die on your feet than to live on your knees. Mm. So, way to fucking go, buddy. He's a hero. Yeah, Yeah. totally. (laughs) I think that is also, uh, just right after that is the first part where someone explicitly says that it might be witches. I think it's it's Sarah who comes up with that and tells Susie. But Mm -hmm. Susie's in and out at this point because she's been drinking poison or, you know, a sedative of some kind. Yeah. Again, you know, the first time she passed out, she drank red wine. I thought she was just drunk. The second time, even if she isn't used to getting drunk, shouldn't she be like, I think I'm being drugged. Like, wouldn't you feel it? She, I mean, the second time she's so sedated that yeah. she's completely out of it dude she is conked out as shit yeah and poor sarah too to be in a situation where you know you're unsafe and someone else is actually there but they're insensate they can't help you yeah you know and you're shaking them being like oh my god because just having another person present can do so much to calm you down you know and make you feel safer but you know she couldn't wake her up and then it's like what do you do hmm and of course, you know, we were talking about the uh, the weapon. At some point, we see someone open a box and in there is a straight razor. And my I was straight razors are very frightening to me as a, a weapon with which to be attacked. They just seem particularly terrifying. Yeah. So I saw that and I was like, oh, shit. Another thing I noticed in that box, though, is uh, there are a couple of pins. And that immediately made me think of like voodoo a voodoo doll right and th- they do get used in that way i mean do they yes so when okay the razor is used to slit her throat after she falls in the barbed wire and then when we see her corpse those two pins are put on her eyes oh they're put on her eyes i, I remember she has um 
nails put through her arms or her wrists, right? I didn't notice that there were pins. I thought there was something up with her eyes, but I couldn't tell exactly what it was. Those two pins are in them, and oh, she's still wearing them at the end when she's resurrected. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about that when we get to it, because okay. I really want to talk about that part, too. Yeah. Interesting, though. Good call. Um, I, I will just say, to bring it back to that scene, though, I, I consider voodoo to be one of the scariest things mm. in the world. I'm terrified of voodoo and voodoo dolls in particular. Just the, the idea that someone could have, like, a poppet of you... That they stab with uh, a pin or like manipulate a limb and break it like that kind of being hurt from afar where the pain is just happening to you and you literally have nothing you can do to stop it. You can't strike against anything to defend yourself. Very, very frightening. Yeah, that's scary. I even remember I was so afraid of voodoo. One, uh, it terrified me in Indiana Jones. And two... I was reading a Superman comic in which, uh, I don't know if you know this, Drew, but along with Kryptonite, one of Superman's few weaknesses, few vulnerabilities is to magic. And so in this comic, he had like won the day and was kind of going home. And in the last few panels is when they revealed a new threat coming at him. And it's some guy with a voodoo doll and it's, he sticks a pin in a Superman voodoo doll's forehead and he just like. He's flying through the city and just suddenly grabs his head and is like, ah, and he falls out of the sky. Whoa. And that's the end. And I was like, I can't even get the next issue because I, I like, I can't deal with this. <laughs> like, <laughs> voodoo too stressful. is too much for me, man. <laughs> I am out. I never read a Superman comic ever again. Wow. Well. You did. I did. Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't follow up on that story. Um, so we get, yeah, the slowest scene of being attacked by someone i think i've ever seen in a movie Uh, also while watching sarah hide in this room and the attacker use this straight razor to try and unlatch the latch quite slowly so slowly and i kept thinking (sighs) why don't you hold the latch down like at first i i got it because i thought maybe she was worried about cutting her hands on the razor but then they show the latch and there's much more of it off to the side that she could just she could be holding that down with two fingers the the person on the other side has no like leverage with which to force it open it's not brute strength on brute strength here you could just stand there holding that latch down all night long yeah like what are you doing yeah that that the timing of that scene was not good no but we then get a pretty okay kill especially the part where she tries to flee the room and jumps into a giant pit full of barbed wire yeah and it's not clear that it's quite barbed like well something's cutting her yeah it maybe it's meant to be barbed wire but you don't see barbs it's like it's true they look smooth but you know she is getting cut up by it yeah and i mean even without the barbs just the way like you know all of her thrashing was just causing it to constrict more on her and yeah it's like she was she had fallen into a, a spider web of some kind. Right. And it just looked awful. Yeah. Like, very upsetting to watch. I felt very bad for her. Not a great way to go. Can we talk about how they uh, don't know how to pronounce the word occult? <laughs> yeah, so after that, we get our scene with Udo Kier as Dr. Exposition, and he keeps saying occult. Yeah, occult. It could have just been... A non-English speaker doing those lines? The I don't occult. Know. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, are you interested in the occult? That whole scene, while important, is so ridiculous, both because of the uh, the silent windiness and the 
bizarre specificity of the rules for witches. Um, after that, we um, start to come down to the wire for this story. We get we get the old bat in the hair. Yeah, which... okay. We had the classic bat attack yeah. scene. Uh, and this was where, this was the one scene that I think challenged the notion that this film was primarily avant-garde like it it went to some classic horror genre stuff right now like stamp it this is a horror movie like a, a you know a pretty actress is is got a uh bat that's flown into the window and it's we just get a minute of a bat scaring her flying around a room it's a horror movie in the sense of like a 1930s bella lugosi vehicle yes you know it, like it's in her hair for god's sake yeah which by the way public service announcement is not a behavior that bats are known to engage in no matter what movies tell you and also uh public service announcement if a bat flies into your room and you catch it in a towel don't smash it to bits with you a chair. You do not have to kill it at all. You can wrap that towel up, take it outside, and let it go. You do not have to kill that animal. Yeah, she was, I mean... It was brutal, dude. Given the circumstances, maybe she's a little out of her mind. She she's stressed. Was, she's stressed. You know, we understand the situation. That's not a reason to take it out on a poor, defenseless animal. She murked that bat. Dude, she is smashing it to bits. You see the, like, red seeping through the towel, and you're just like, oh my god, stop hitting it, it's already dead. <laughs> like, she she turns that into bat paste. It's gross. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess good for her. And she catches it in a white towel, so of course we get the full effect of the blood coming through the towel. Yeah, we also get some, like, crunching, like audio too which i found not awesome to have to listen to but um yeah so after that she goes exploring and uh she makes her you know she figures out the whole thing with the footsteps and gets into the room and then she figures out what those secret irises are the words that have been kicking around from the beginning of the movie that pat said on her way out the door yeah you know so our mystery our murder mystery is starting to be resolved she figures out the secret door with the irises. Yep. She goes through. And uh, interesting, I mean, I'm not exactly sure what the directorial significance would be, but uh, we get a switch now from majority red in the school to majority blue down yeah. in the under, under part. Yeah, that's right. Oh, another thing about color, too, and this is only dialogue, but I noticed that the rooms at the dance school are all color-coded, so it's like, we're going to do practice in the yellow room. We're like, where can I find her? Oh, she's in the red room. Thing. Were they referring to it like that? Yeah, I think the different dance rooms that they practiced in were all kind of color-identified huh. like that. I don't know if they were necessarily colorful on the inside, but that was how they were referring to them. Hmm. Yeah. So anyway, we get down into our blue-coated satanic underbelly of the school, and she discovers, yep, they're witches. Yep. <laughs> no ifs, ands, or buts about it. They're all witches, including um the little boy, who I guess it turns out was in on it the whole time. I couldn't tell. I mean, I knew there was something wrong with him, but I was like, is he just like a victim, just like of his overbearing evil witchy No, aunt? that little boy was not innocent. Yeah, apparently. and that, that makes him a lot scarier. Like, I saw him the first time, and he's, like, in this little Dutch boy, or I guess little German boy costume. Yeah. With the, the mop of blonde hair. And I'm like, that's creepy, but is it a misdirect? No. Nope. Nope. Not a misdirect at all. 
And then, of course, that that dime store lurch who's working at the yeah at the school comes down. He finally got uh, he he liked Sarah's lighter. He finally got finally it. Finally got it. Comes lumbering through, and so Susie retreats into another room, and that's where we discover the head witch. Who uh, what was her name? Marcos. I forget her name. Helena Marcos. Helena Marcos. Something Marcos. Greek. Because there's nothing scarier than a Greek witch. Mm. Yeah, that's pretty scary. Yeah, right? I mean, like, an Italian witch, a French witch, a Japanese witch, all things I can handle. But a witch from Greece, you do not want to fuck with. Nope. That is some godly witchery. Yeah. I mean, damn. So, uh... I thought that this is a part where it actually got pretty damn scary again. Number one, her voice. She had a very scary witch voice to come out of her. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it transfixed me a little bit. Like, I felt this real thrill of fear every time she spoke, especially her first few lines, because I wasn't expecting it. Mm. And then continuing on after that, her, I don't know if it was, like, layered or what, but, like, the way... Her voice and her laugh appeared to be, like, coming from all over the place. Yeah. And, like, very intense and unnatural. It, it her, Very frightening in the, yeah. the design for the sound of her voice. The fact that you could see a silhouette behind the curtain. But, but you then, didn't know what she looked like. And then when the curtain was drawn, she was invisible. Yeah. You know, I, well, I thought she was more scary as a silhouette. Yeah, you know, I agree. some thing standing there. You don't know what it is. Yeah. And then we get what I think is the other, I mean, her voice, yes, is scary, but the other really great fright in this film is when the reanimated corpse of Sarah comes stumbling into the room to kill Susie. Yeah. That was really scary. That was scary. And, uh, you know, if I'd been a little younger, that'd be giving me nightmares for a while. Sure. Yeah. Just uh, the way she looked and... The way she was moving, like, very... Yeah, very, very creepy. Yeah, so props on that. But um, Susie keeps her head. She has the wherewithal to notice that, though invisible, the witch still appears to be making an indent on her bed. So she just fucking stabs her through the throat, baby. Yep, yep. Good move there. I mean... Kill that witch. At least try it. I guess that's good. I mean, I, I wouldn't have... I wouldn't have felt like, oh, this is going to work because she's invisible, but... Well, you don't know where to stab. Right. Well, you know, she had that thing where she was flashing where you could see her, the outline of her. Yeah, the the light... Well, it wasn't a lightning bolt because they were, like, underground. No, it was just some flash that was happening every few seconds while she was, you know, doing this spell to resurrect, reanimate our, uh, our, our friend Sarah. Yeah. Well... However it happened, Susie managed to murk that bitch, and um, she then realized that killing the head witch causes the house to blow up. Yep. All of the other witches, I think, were dropping as that had been done, and then the house, of course, uh, was busting everywhere. Yeah. (laughs) And to a certain extent, it felt like the actress, uh, what was her name, Uh, Jessica Harper, was actually forced to run through a set where things were blowing up that she didn't quite know. There were a few reactions that she had that were startled in such a way where I was like, that kind of feels like she just 
got caught off guard by what was happening on the set. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't look 100% safe, is what I was saying. Right, exactly. Like, the the set was set to randomly bust in different places, and she didn't know where it would bust when. Or I, I wondered if maybe, like, you know, safety concerns are a little more lax over in Italy, so the, Dario Argento was like, Okay, Sarah, you will run through here, and things are going to be going pop whiz, and you just react normally, okay? What? Okay, action. Like, yeah, yeah. That I mean, you know, it worked, but uh, high risk, high risk strategy. Yeah. And then we come to the end, which happened very suddenly. Actually, there's sort of there's no like denouement where she's like heading home and everything's okay. It's just sort of she runs out of the house, the house bursts into flames, and that's it. Yep. Movie over. You have been watching Suspiria, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> like, thank you. And yeah, and so that's the end. That's Suspiria. I guess we'll talk a little bit about how the movie did, both in the eyes of the public and the critics. Mm. So, as I said, this movie is considered to be a cult classic, especially for the horror genre. It is Dario Argento's biggest hit in America, and it has a 91% on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. Yeah, that's a pretty good score. Reviews at the time were kind of mixed, so I have Janet Maslin of the New York Times wrote, The film had slender charms, though they will most assuredly be lost on viewers who are squeamish. Okay. David Kerr of the Chicago Reader said that Argento works so hard for his effects, throwing around shock cuts, colored lights, and peculiar camera angles, that it would be impolite not to be a little frightened. Hmm. Okay. Jay Hoberman, no, not clear if it's a guy or a girl, of the Village Voice, positive review, called it a movie that makes sense only to the eye. So, huh. generally positive review, I guess, but also a little kind of critical of some of, of the plot. plot. Yeah. I think I might agree, but we'll get into that. It's kind of gotten a more positive reevaluation nowadays. So, the book European Nightmares, Horror Cinema in Europe, since 1945. Sexy title, by the way. The film is noted for being an exemplar of Euro horror. It's excessive, but here the excesses seem to entail a more forceful retardation of a narrative drive to the extent that the narrative periodically ceases to exist. Mm. True. True. Village Voice. Ranked Suspiria number 100 on their list of the 100 greatest films made in the 20th century. Wow. Mm -hmm. Entertainment Weekly ranked Suspiria number 18 on their list of the 25 scariest films ever. Interesting. It's, that's pretty high. I don't think it makes the top 25 of my scariest movies, but you know, Entertainment Weekly is its own thing. Sure. It can have its own opinions on stuff. One of the film's sequences was ranked at number 24 on Bravo's The 100 Scariest Movie Moments program. This is the one you were <laughs> yeah. recalling. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm glad that that show exists just for the fact that it turned me on to a lot of horror movies that I had not otherwise been familiar with, and I wound up seeking them out, so... Not just Suspiria, there are other horror films that I've seen because of that program. So, you know what? Thanks, Bravo. Thank Good job. you. Yeah. Yeah. And then finally, 
There is a remake planned. It's coming out in 2018 to be directed by Luca Guadagnino, who I am not familiar with, but starring Dakota Johnson, Tilda Swinton, and Chloe Grace Moretz, which is pretty good. Pretty good lineup. Uh, with a score to be done by Tom York hmm. of Radiohead. Oh, wow. That's interesting. I imagine he's going to be kind of like remixing or reimagining the score, which uh, I don't think I mentioned earlier is by an Italian band called Goblin. Yes. Um, the Goblins. Is that what it was? Yeah. Okay. But um, I think that's, uh, at least in terms of the cast and the score, that's interesting enough. And it was hearing about the remake coming out that kind of spurred me to want to watch this this time, too. So, you know, cool. So, now our reactions. Drew, what did you think of Suspiria? Overall worthwhile. Um, a good work of art. Interesting, yeah. for sure. You know, as far as our prediction of enjoyment level, I'm right at around what we what we were describing, you know, it's, uh, I appreciate the art. I, I did find it a little scary in some places. Mm -hmm. Um, overall, overall enjoyment. Yeah. I liked the film. I think that the impression I came in with was accurate, which was, I got the impression that it is a film that is more interesting than good. Not to not to take away from how good the movie is, because I think it's a good movie. I liked it. You know, uh, mm. a solid, enjoyable film, especially if you like horror movies and worth seeing. But that caveat still holds where it's a film of like high ambition artistically and that occasionally comes to the detriment. It doesn't always hit that bar. And in trying, it comes sometimes to the detriment of the plot. Mm and the story um i just think it's a film that fails occasionally but is also brought up considerably by a few incredibly well executed shocks yes it'll be interesting to see what a remake does with it and what the remake is going to choose to focus on you know is the remake going to choose to put that story which is a little underserved in this more front and center and try and flesh that out or is it going to follow in the footsteps of the first one and focus more on like art direction and creating a kind of more visceral uh you know visual story uh, you know make you feel something hit you through your senses a little bit more than just telling a straightforward narrative mm. I wonder. I mean, it's a modern Hollywood film, so I think it's probably going to go more conventional, but you never know. Right, we'll see. Yeah, I'm looking forward to actually seeing this remake, uh, just because I'm curious to see what a modern spin on this movie would be. Mm. So, anyway, to bring it back to the actual film, uh, a qualified recommend. Mm. Yeah, this certainly is a movie you have to be in a mood to see. Yeah, that's right. Well, you have to appreciate horror to begin with. If you do like the genre, absolutely, you should see it. But go in prepared for a movie that is unique and particular. You know, don't just throw this on on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah, it's not a casual view. No, it's, it's one that you're going to want to actually sit down and watch mm. and think about. So keep that in mind. But all that being said, thumbs up. Yeah. Which, of course, brings us to the central question behind this podcast. Is this movie better late than never? 
And keep in mind that Better Late is the idea that it's good you saw this movie, it has enriched your life, you are glad that you finally caught it. Never is more like, you know what, if I never saw this movie, wouldn't have made a difference. Mm. So what do you think? I'd say Better Late. Yeah? I am going to kind of be a mealy-mouthed politician and split the baby here. Mm. I am going to say, for me specifically, as a fan of horror and someone who's into that genre and has been hearing about this movie for a long time and been curious about it as a cult artifact, better late. Yeah. No question. If I was just a regular civilian, someone who's just a normal movie-going member of the public who's not specifically into horror movies and not interested in catching kind of some of the more oddball outlier films that there are to check out i think it's a safe never yeah you're not gonna lose anything by not having seen this movie Mm. so i'm gonna say better late but with the caveat that that is for me specifically if you're not exactly like me in terms of your movie taste this, this could be a never so all right well That is our episode for today. Thank you very much for tuning in. Drew, as always, a pleasure having you on this podcast. Thanks again, Dave. Fun times. Hope to have you back for many more. Yes, indeed. And uh, if you like the show, you can contact us. BetterLateThanNeverPod at gmail.com or at BetterLate underscore pod. Catch you next time. Bye. See ya. of the unsettling is a growing film movement the most well-known film in the genre is an hour-long shot of a squirrel with diarrhea